Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following podcast is being brought to you by the Defy Life Podcast Network. Welcome to Aftergate, powered by the Defy Life Network. Are y'all ready? Aftergate is a podcast series highlighting Colgate alumni of color in their professional endeavors, Aftergate. Are y'all ready? Aftergate is hosted by Alvin Glimpf, a.k.a. Al, and Herman Dubois, a.k.a. Jerry. Are y'all ready? We are doing Aftergate because Colgate University has produced innovators who have changed the world every day. Yet many alumni of color and the mainstream Colgate community are unaware of the amazing accomplishments of alums of color. Are y'all ready? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Aftergate. This is your man, Alvin Glimpf, a.k.a. Al. It is my honor to be a co-host of this podcast, Aftergate, where we have a good 71, 72 episodes. (laughs) Where we have interviewed alumni of color from Kogi University amplifying their journeys, talking about what's their life been like since Colgate, but in the process, we are exploring what was their life before Colgate, and even diving into their life while on campus. But before we get to this week's guest, let me introduce my co-host, Mr. Hedaman Dubois. What's the deal, my man, Jerry? How you doing, bro? Hermano, all in. Everything is good. Still feeling blessed, you know, yeah, taking man. the day-to-day and, uh, yeah, you know, Appreciating the opportunities and, 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 and you know, the uh, the grace of God that he is, you know, just nonstop. So we just got to know how to identify what those lessons are, you know. So get that lesson every day. Lessons and blessings, my man. Lessons and blessings. Um, speaking of blessings, though, our, if I remember correctly, Hope Murals has some interesting projects on the horizon. So last time we talked about the child will be indexed and what I was doing in Atlanta. We'd love sure. to get a quick synopsis of some of the projects Hope Murals got going on, just so yeah, folks know yeah. we don't stop, can't stop, we won't stop. Right, right. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of something I, I've kept under the wraps for a while, but we're going to be... Uh, having an opportunity to officially partner with a major university institution here and a sponsored project uh, where we will be helping to uh, beautify through our social emotional learning curriculum, a elementary school creating a STEM lab uh, by accommodating all of the art, the murals and the uh, workshops that come along with the, with the programming. And so, uh, it's an awesome opportunity because it's, it's sort of like a pilot with this new partnership with the university and uh, has the capacity to easily replicate into nine major school title one schools in the communities that are most impacted by poverty, crime, unemployment in Miami, you know, Overtown, Liberty City, Little Haiti. And so uh, I'm really excited about that partnership and really excited about this this first project we have coming up. 
Uh, we've also got some stuff in the pipeline up in Vero Beach where we are being contracted to do a program with adult uh, incarcerated men who will be being part of a mural project in a major community center up in Vero Beach, Florida, uh, warehouse style type, like when you, we're talking scaffold and lifts. Uh, so big, big opportunity for us to do some work outside of Miami-Dade County and continue to expand our uh, our programming into working in different different neighborhoods and different communities. So very excited, very excited. And that's just what the media did. The stuff percolating for 2023-2024 that, you know, we'll save those announcements for, for later in the year. That's what's up. Uh, Y'all are uh, making serious, serious strides. So keep it up, Hope Murals. Now. Thank you. Mind if we invite our guests for this week into the studio? Can I get your blessings? Absolutely. Absolutely. You already know what the church say. Deacon Al. Amen. 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 So, after gate <laughs> listeners, alumni of color, my family, yo, I would like to introduce, bring into the studio the one, the only, David Mapenga Kabanga, class of 1994. What's up, good brother? Welcome to Aftergate. It is nice to see you, Al. It's good to see you, Jerry. It is amazing, absolutely. And again, most people may not know me by my other my new name, but this is David Fort. If you remember me from class of 1994, so yes, it's sir. good to see both of you. Definitely, absolutely glad to be on so, the show. Let's start. Let's just go on and jump right into that. <laughs> Explain to us the name chain. Give us the, the journey on that. So, yeah. So basically is that, you know, it was early on. This is kind of what happened was that my mother, before she met my father, she had married a man named Mr. Fort. And when she was with my dad, she was dating my dad. Um, essentially, what was happening was that they they never married, but they were together. And so when she got pregnant and she was naming, she wanted to name me. She just named me after her name at the time, which was Fort. Mm -hmm. And so all these years, I have always been, um, always been associated with the last name of Fort, even though it wasn't my father. Mm -hmm. So I've always wanted to change my last name. Um, I have my cat in the background crying out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I might put her aside for a moment. But bottom line is that I always wanted to change my name. And I didn't like it. And on top of it, too, you know, it was a slave master's name. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I had different options to change my name. But mm -hmm. I was like, it's time to do something different. So what I did, I ended up getting married. Um, and when I got married... It was an opportunity to change my last name. And if I had not waited until then, and I had researched it since I was a teenager, I would have had to go to court, go to court and all kinds of back and forth and everything else. So, you know, it was opportunities to change my name to whatever I wanted to. I did some research on the last name and, you know, it, it just, it worked out. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, same. That's that's dope. That's dope. That's dope. <laughs> so, um, that's yeah. cool. So, first, where are you from? Where are you 
give give us a little bit of where you where you from. Sure, sure. So yeah, my roots here, yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, second okay. biggest city in New England, and we're about forty minutes outside of Boston. And mm-hmm. that's where I was raised. I spent most of my time bouncing back between Worcester and Boston. Uh-huh. Uh, um, that's just kind of where I've, you know, I got my roots from. My father is from Jamaica, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he came to the states in the sixties. And, you know, back then, you know, immigration was completely racist. It's still racist now, but it was completely racist back then. And it wasn't until the Immigration Act of like 1964, 65, up until that point, you really couldn't come and become a citizen if you were in the Caribbean or African countries, Caribbean, um, Asian countries, Mm. Latin American countries. Yeah, it was pretty much strictly you could come and work, but you had to go back home. And what I, my father would come in, in and out, in and out. And then eventually he was able to move from Florida where you are, Jerry. Um, you know, he was basically picking oranges up there. Um, and then that, when that crop ended, he ended up moving to Massachusetts, picking apples. Humble start. And he eventually moved to Worcester, Massachusetts. My mom is from Alabama. And hmm. she was basically escaping terrorism that was going on down there. And she mm-hmm. moved up here in the 60s and they met and the rest is history. So that's where I'm from. I'm from Worcester with Jamaican roots. And, you know, my dad came southern, in the 60s. Another southern twang. As, yeah. Absolutely. We traced our history back until 1840, 1850, mm-hmm. something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm first generation American on one side. Okay. So absolutely. So take us back. So if you are graduating <laughs> in 94, you finished high school 89. So 90. take us 90. Okay. Yep. Take us back. What's mm-hmm. the yeah, you're yeah. right. What's the um world like? What do you remember about that time? Oh um, yeah. Like take us back to what's life like for you <laughs> as you're entering Colgate. And also sure. and also define and also define your community mm-hmm. because not everybody knows the demographics or knows, understands the context of how your community was relevant in influencing you and decisions you made and how you moved through your life. Good question. Good question. Good question. Good question. So Worcester, where I grew up, was very diverse where I grew up. You could look at my high school, mm-hmm. look at my junior high, and you know, you could see you know, Blacks, Latinos, Asians, you could see everybody there. Uh, my neighborhood was, everybody was in there. We also were, were right next to Little Italy of Worcester. Mm. Um, right, you know, we were all, everybody was around. So you can even see the reflection of friendships and marriages and all the rest of those things, even today. You know, it's not unusual if somebody was married to this person or, or dating this person. Um, it was just a really good environment. It was just a good environment. Obviously, we had issues, we had race issues, we had different things going on. But generally speaking, everybody, we all hung out together after school, in school, and it was just a really good diverse area. Now, that was different than, let's say, if I went to Boston to go see family mm. and or go to church there. It was different because Boston is segregated. It is segregated. So if you want to go if you come into Boston, downtown Boston, you see some, you see people working and so forth, but the majority of black, black folk, you have mm-hmm. to go to Roxbury, Dorchester, mm-hmm. Mattapan, in those areas. Um, 
you know, those places and so forth. So, you know, Minister Farrakhan, for example, grew up, I believe, in Roxbury. He was friends with my pastor and so forth. So, you know, those types of things. So it was segregated. Um, and so Worcester was a little different. You know, we had we had we had we had busting issues. Well, Boston had busting issues back in the seventies and issue uh, back in the seventies. We didn't have those types of problems, but you know, it was we had a mixed bag. And where I grew up, it was a great time to, you know, it was great. You know, I played sports. I had a uh, great friendships. I had a loving family. I'm the youngest in my family. Um, you know, it was just, I had, you know, I had older brothers, I had older sisters. Um, it was just good. My neighborhood was, I was in church. Both my parents were pastors. My dad was a pastor. Mm. My mom was a pastor. Um, so they really kind of pushed academics. Um, they pushed, they also pushed activism, get out there and speak your mind when you need to speak your mind about different issues. So, you know, that was kind of the home I grew up in, you know, get out there, do what you have to do. And I think for many of us, and I think both of you and most of you, mostly people from Colgate, people of color, is that you want to make your parents proud. You know, for mm. us, many of us, it's the first time we had an opportunity like this. There are, don't get me wrong, there are Black families, Latino families who've had multiple generations go off to college and so forth and so forth. But for many of us, this was our first time or at this level, at this level. And I think for me, it was... I wanted to make my parents proud. So I grew up in that environment, tried to do it, played sports, did academics well, and an opportunity arose um, to apply to Colgate, you know? And uh, if you want me to talk about that piece of it, I can. Please, please do. So I was recruited to play, my whole goal from a sports-wise, I wanted to play Division One football. I wanted to play Division One baseball. Baseball was my first sport. And I had played that okay. since I was a little kid. Yeah, it was my first sport. And it was what I played from the time I was, I don't know, six, five, six years old, playing like, you know, Little League and in Babe Ruth and Legion mm -hmm. and all the rest of those things. I didn't discover football until I was a freshman in high school. And I was like, wow, I mean, I love football, but I was too big to go play Pop Water, you know? So <laughs> it's a kind of a big kid. So when I got into high school, and I had the opportunity to start playing football. I got in and I pretty much started from this. I, after I got the hang of it, I started freshman year varsity and I did that all the way and through, you know, all the way through high school. But baseball was my first love. So I wanted to play division one football and baseball. And I was being recruited by different places and so forth. And it, you know, I was looking at different schools, different schools. And one of the schools, um, it was division one, division two, division three, different things like that. And they were pretty much in the Northeast part of the country. And then, you know, I had some, there was a, a couple of people in my area who had gone to Colgate mm -hmm. and they played football. And that's when I started to, I knew more, I knew about Colgate because I'm five minutes away from Holy Cross. You know what I mean? I'm mm -hmm. like literally five minutes away from Holy Cross. So I grew up as a Holy Cross fan. So I always knew Colgate. So, but I wanted to get out of Worcester. I wanted to get out of here. So, um, you know, I started to check it out. I went there for the first time. Um, great academic school. And I was like, all right, this is really cool, you know? And I go there and I went with my parents because, you know, they're recruiting you to trying to play football and baseball at Colgate. So I'm like, this is really cool. This is really nice. 
And I get there, it was a rainy day. It was a rainy Friday with my parents. I didn't like it at all. I was like, this school, it was dreary. You know how it is where I cocaine. It gets dreary yeah. and nasty out in the spring type of thing. Actually, it was more in the, um, the beginning of the second semester. I was like, ah, I didn't like this thing. Talked to the coach afterwards, I didn't like it. So I remember the coach called me and he said, hey, you know what? What do you think? I told him what I thought. And he said, you know, give it another chance. I'm going to I'm going to have someone give you a call. And I said, all right. So not too long afterwards, I get a phone call. Saying the dude was like, yo, 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 you need to come back up here. You know, come, you know, I play baseball. Who that person was? That was Jerry. <laughs> hey, word. That, that was Jerry. Jerry called me. I'm all, all I'm all of like 17 years old. Jerry's like, you need to come back up and check it out and so forth. And I'm like, yo, you know, I'm like, I didn't like you, so you need to come back up and chill and hang out and so forth like that. So I did. That's how I met Jerry. First of all, he called me up, man, you know, and that's how I, I came back a couple of weeks later. Gorgeous day. Beautiful day. Um, met Jerry. It was cool. Everything was great. And I was like, this is a place I really want to be. And that's how I kind of got excited about Colgate through Jerry. That's wow. how it kind of just jumped off, man. And then it came down to two schools, by the way. Lastly, it came down to Hamilton College. Okay. And, oh, mm -hmm. and the only reason why I didn't go, you know, I liked Hamilton. Hamilton was cool, but it was small and it wasn't Division One. And so yep. I wanted to play Division One baseball. Jerry played baseball. <laughs> And so I was like, I made my decision. And that is the story why I got to Kobe. <laughs> I had, you know what? Thank you. Because I had for oh, I had forgotten about that. And so <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. That's how I yeah. got there, bro. Thanks, Jerry. I remember I, you, you brought it all you brought it all back. And I was like, wow. That's right. Yeah, that's dope. That's I remember really dope. that, yeah. bro. <laughs> and, 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 and what's interesting about that is that we've had yeah. quite a few number of guests. And mm -hmm. even friends that we know who have not right. been guests but have had that mm -hmm. Colgate experience where yeah. there was an opportunity for them to mm -hmm. engage with someone, an alumni, you know, right. an, an upper class, whether it was athletics or academic or on right. just some shit like, yo, this is what it is. And right. um, that it's almost like the unspoken Kogate admission strategy is get homie to talk to a homie and like the guerrilla warfare tactic of admission. Like you, you know, know what? No doubt. Like don't worry, no, no, no. We gonna we gonna get somebody to call you. Don't worry about it. Hold tight. It's like it, it, bring in the closer. Bring in the closer. Right, right, right. right no right, doubt, right. no doubt. But that sold me, man. I came up. Jerry was like, you know, he started showing me, you know, Black Student Union. Like, he started showing me things. I was like, this is the place right here, man. So yeah, that's how that's awesome. I got excited about it, man. That's how I ended up at Colgate, man. That's, that's phenomenal. <laughs> so um, when you – did you come up during OUS summer or did you come in – and okay, so no OUS summer. You I live in your HRC? Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I came in HRC. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So what was that it transition might... like? So you're coming up. There's yeah. uh, freshmen already have connections. Um, yeah. you, you do know Jerry, though, so you good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, and also academically, like what was your academic preparation coming out of your high school and transitioning to college? We've heard the spectrum, so it's always interesting right. to hear what that was like for you. Definitely. So the high school I went to, I would say it's probably the poorest high school in in Worcester. And it was it was like the poorest public high school in Worcester. It was the most diverse, but it was also probably the poorest. It was the most it was the strongest academically. Um, you know, it was I went to North High in Worcester, and it was you know it was a it was a a great school in terms of relationships and friendships and all those things. But academically, you know, it was hard. It was it wasn't the best, but you know it was it was an opportunity to, you know, wherever I was, my parents said, just do the best you possibly can. And they, you know, and that was what had happened. That's what happened. My parents had the opportunity to send me to a couple of private schools. And I said, no, I want to be here with my friends. I want to be here. And I just tried to make the best out of it. And when I came up to, I came up freshman year, you know, I was a, I was a student, I was a, you know, freshman. I didn't come up during the summertime. And as you're right, you're, you're right that there was a whole relationship, a whole network that was built already by those who were already there. So, you know, the freshmen that were there during the summertime, they knew each other. They knew many of the older folks who were there, the sophomores, the juniors, the seniors, they already knew. So, but I lucked out. I lucked out because what I did was that, you know, I lived HRC, Hall of Renaissance Center, freshman year. I was, I was there for two years when I, you know, eventually, but the freshman year, I walk in there, and I'm on the first floor, and I remember this out this story here. This is kind of bugged out. So I walk in, and I'm like with my parents. Now it's just it's, it's two rooms in there. There's two different, you know, two bedrooms in the room. I walk the, the in su- the suite, the HRC the suite. The suite, exactly, exactly. And I had I walked in there, and I had I went to one side, grabbed the bedroom. My parents were there. One of my two of my brothers were there as well. And I was like, all right. And so the door was open where mom, my mom is taking things out and so forth. And then all I heard was down the hallway coming into the door was Denniston Reed, Dimension Reed, <laughs> <laughs> who was my roommate. And he comes in there and he's like, you know, who's the F is in this room? Yell it. Who the F is in this room? And straight Bronx. I, <laughs> straight Bronx. <laughs> exactly. That's how I met Dimension in person. 
Right, right, that's right. how my parents met him in person. <laughs> and that's the first time I met him. I was like, these are the two pastors who are like, is it too late to get to him? No, my father said, my father was like, watch the boy. He got the yeah, devil in him. But that's bugged out. But because you know, I walk in there, me and Dimension, we just bonded. And so all yeah. of the people he knew, I knew instantly. And he was, and he was a student athlete because he ran south. Exactly, exactly. So it became like I knew people in from the summer program, started mm -hmm. knowing people in the dorm. Then I started pe knowing people on the athletic field, baseball, track, football. So it became like really quickly I start knowing people really 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 so quickly. You, so you became you became cool I'm assuming with Craig Parkin. Yeah exactly exactly and like you said Craig you know Craig played baseball as well. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. So it was, you know, I had a good transition in and Harlem Renaissance Center was critical to that because it was my friendships developed right from the start, right in that place. And then going and learning about African-American diaspora all over the place mm -hmm. was amazing. You didn't feel like you were alone. You felt mm -hmm. like you had a family, you had backup on that campus. You felt you know, like you were part of something. And then you start throwing in all of the African-American Student Alliance, Caribbean Student Alliance, Latin American mm -hmm. Student Alliance, all these things that were there. You felt like you felt like, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere, but you have like a big family. That's the way I felt. What, what, what was your what was your major? I was a double major. I was a good question. I was a double major. I was a sociology major and okay. pre-med. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't know what I was wanting to do. I wanted to I wanted to, hmm. you know, get into medicine and I knew I wanted to do pre-med, but I didn't know what else. And then I start taking sociology classes. Rhonda Levine, you remember her? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhonda Levine, she was like, Hey, you you know, you're pretty good at this. And then that's how I kind of got majored into it. So yeah, that's how it is. That's what's up. Any extracurriculars besides sports? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in. there, yeah, I was involved with Caribbean Student Alliance, um, mm -hmm. um, African American Student Alliance. Mm -hmm. I was part of We Funk. I began okay. becoming okay. the president, co-president of We Funk with Hassan Brown. All right. Um, okay. Yeah, I was also a DJ while I was up there at the radio station for two, yeah. th two or three years with yeah. Damon Pierce. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so I was active in different things. And then, you know, you know, obviously playing sports and so forth. So I was, you know, I was doing that. I spent, I, I got more into the football because, you know, it was just my coach, you know, it was basically a battle between the baseball coach and the football coach. They were like, the football coach was like, listen, we really want this kid over here. So I did more of the football, but it was just like all the athletes kind of knew each other and hung out and so forth. So I had all of it. I had the great academics. I had the good actual curricular, curricular activities. I worked as well. I had a little part-time job here and there. And, you know, the um, the sports. Everything was good. I couldn't, can't yeah. complain. That's what's up. What's up? So when you look at then your whole four years, what mm -hmm. are some of the accomplishments, highlights that you look back yeah. on and been like, these, yeah. these are things that I'm really proud of, whether it's personal, academic, athletic. What are some of your highlights? I think for me, the fact that, A, I was able to get in and, and, and be able just to be there because, you know, it was, you know, 
it was hard to get in back then. It's even harder to get get in there now. It's very difficult. So just to be able to get in, and I got into good academic schools, but I'm a firm believer that I don't care if you went to, you know, you know, Phillips Exeter, you know, which is considered, you know, Phillips Academy, for example, you know, and, you know, and that's, that's like an hour, it's like a little over an hour from me where I am right now. And I've been on that campus many times. Some people consider that the best boarding school in the world. I don't care if you go there it, 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 it or anywhere else. It is a privilege for a school to accept you. And I don't care if the school is the best college or a community, whatever it is, it's a privilege. So for me, I think the first thing was just getting accepted. I think the second thing was more about, you know, for me, being able to just make friendships that that were lasting, it was just long lasting all those years. Um, you know, 33 years for some, in some cases, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, most of us were 18 or we were 20 when we met and so forth, 21, and, and those relationships are still there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing was being able to play sports um, at that level. Um, I think that was, it was something that I really wanted to do. Um, and I probably would say the last thing probably is, you know, being able to build a foundation to try to recruit new students to Colgate, you know, because it is trying to, I let them know, and this is one of the things I tell kids, I said, listen, you know, one of the proudest things that I think I was able to do while I was there was to, you know, love the school. I think for me, probably the biggest thing was to love the school, because then I'm taking that and I'm pointing and teaching these young kids about, you know, hey, Colgate, you go to this school, it's going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to feel out of place. Sometimes you're going to feel in place, but it it will prepare you for things that you didn't think you could do. And I, I remember I was in Boston and I remember talking to a, 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 some parents. There were two parents. They were thinking about sending their kid to Colgate. And I remember telling them, I said, listen, the one thing that you will, you know, you will figure out pretty quickly once you're there is that it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be rigorous, you're gonna be doing lots of things. I told him, I said, I played sports, I worked, I was in student activities. I did a whole bunch of things while I was there simultaneously. But I said, once you get into this whole thing, and especially once you leave, you'll realize that you're not afraid of anything, that academically, professionally, and so forth. So, you know, if you go from Colgate and you wanna go apply to Columbia or Harvard or whatever, you get a great job doing something, investments, this thing or that thing, you don't get intimidated because you feel like you can do it. You know, you feel like you can prepare and it's not unusual for 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 alumni mm-hmm. who are, you know, they have multiple things going on and they do it, they, they do it well. And I will say this too about when it comes to alumni of color, it is, I was a driven dude. I was the person I was, you know, I was driven. I was quiet. I was humble about it, you know, very humble about it. You know, I always, when people say, David, you've accomplished this, you accomplished that. I said, listen, you know, or they say, David, you're smart. I said, listen, I'm not that smart. But what I will say this, I do what I can. I work hard. But I said, before I get to myself and give myself credit, I have a whole list of people, including God, to give credit to before I even get to myself. So I say to people like, listen, you know, it is 
you know, one of the things that Colgate just gives you, it gives you that sense of who you are, what you can do, that belonging and so forth. And no matter where you are, you know, you feel like you can do something. And with the alumni of color, we are we typically are very driven people before we get there. You know, whether with the public school, private school, whatever. Many of us were different than many, many of our white colleagues and, and brothers and sisters because many of our backgrounds are different. So we are we're really driven because we want to succeed. We want to help mom. Mm-hmm. We want to help dad. We want a better life. For many of us, this is our first, you know, first first entrance into this world. And you know, Kogi, it's a different world. It's not like you're going to whatever school. This whole world is it's high ticket. The, the, the alumni are very successful. Connected. The social, the social <laughs> clubs. There's people who have lots of money. It mm-hmm. is a whole world. And the alumni are very, very strong and very tight. So I just say this, that, you know, when you get into Colgate, you know, you see people around you who are just like you, very, very driven. They have, may have a different story, a little background, but everybody around you are very, very driven people. I definitely think that's a common denominator amongst mm-hmm. uh, alums. And you know, I would also say your perspective is one that we've heard you know, not from everyone, but definitely mm-hmm. from several alums who, as they look mm-hmm. at what their experience was like, mm-hmm. have credited like that toughness, that ability to feel like you can accomplish whatever once you leave because you've endured, but you've also have this network that you did it with that you right. are now leaving this campus with. And I think right. that's um admirable to, to share that and particularly with kids because um, I think one of the things we've also heard is that that bigger picture, that bigger game, that bigger system Mm -hmm. is not one that many of us were aware of before we got there. And I think no doubt, no doubt. The more we can expose students to say, hey, here's what's available Mm -hmm. to you. You know, you can tap into it or not, but here's what's available to you. And I think that's that's great to share. If I, if, I, if I could interject, one of the things that, just to highlight what both of you said, um, some have applied it in different ways, but it, it comes down to the university experience. I think the word is grit. Mm-hmm. Um, and some were, some talk about the grit they developed academically because it really challenged them. Some talk about mm-hmm. the grit they developed socially and culturally because it was mm-hmm. really difficult for them to be in a setting where they didn't feel that family and they didn't feel exactly. that that support and they didn't have the student athlete experience. So maybe they had limited access to right. other young people. And so, uh, and then there was the grit to just, to your point, graduate and realize, wait a minute, you know, there's a whole yeah. nother cipher to this that we're just like getting like the rules of this game. Never mind how right. to play it. And so, uh, you know, to, to you, you, you kind of were very eloquent about recognizing that as a highlight because most of the time highlights are awards and achievements mm-hmm. and those are great and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with that because I mean just need you excelled in those areas, right? But right. for the core of the majority of all of us, what you described yeah. is the victory. It is the victory. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right because you know, it, like you said, it's you know, it's this world that we're world that we're in. The fact that we graduated from Colgate. And it could be of any color. You're a part of a group here. 
And no matter what, I mean, I've had job offers. I've had different things from different people from all walks of life, different colors and so forth, entrance into certain things just because we went to the same school. And it's not like you go into, let's say, you even went to Harvard, for example. Harvard is a big school. I mean, I'm in Boston every day. Cambridge is right, right there. It's a big school. Colgate is a small school in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it is, you tend to know a lot of people or they know of you. And the fact that it's so small that it's not like, okay, you see somebody with a, a, a Michigan t-shirt, a Michigan t-shirt or a Harvard t-shirt. What it is, you see someone from Colgate, you're like, whoa, because you know how small it is. So mm -hmm. it's like this whole world that you're in, like you said, we're just trying, we're just learning about it. And some people who have lived in these different communities and have had different generations, they've seen all these things. Mm -hmm. They've seen all of the, you know, they've had their mothers, their grandfathers, everybody mm -hmm. go there, the, mm -hmm. the country clubs, the social clubs, they've seen all those things. And I think like it's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to, for us to see it, to be exposed to it, and then bring people, bring people that look like me and you and others in to the fold and so forth, because that's when the business opportunities come about. That's when the school opportunities come about in that whole network of things is being able to say, hey, this, this, and that. You know, just one little quick story. When I was a freshman, I was just kind of, I don't know, I think I was maybe on the quad, maybe even playing baseball. I can't remember, but I just remember I was just kind of just hanging out and so forth. And this gentleman comes up to me and he says, hey, David, and I didn't know the guy. I was like, you know, I said, how are you doing, sir? And so forth. And he walks up to me and he's like, hey, you doing, David? And I was like, hey, hi. And he says, my name is so-and-so. I can't remember his name. And he said that, you know, um, you know, I was the one that funded your, like your scholarship type of thing. And he said, you know, you're, you know, for you to get here. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm the one who, you know, I funded that scholarship for you to, to be able to come here and so forth. And I said, really? I said, you know, oh my God, thank you. And so forth. And he said, you know, you know, every year I try to sponsor a few people and you're one of them that I chose personally chose because I read your background, read your application, read everything. And I wanted to, you know, pay it forward. I wanted to help and so forth. And I asked him, I said, so, sir, what do you do? I'm all of like 18. I said, what do you do? He says, well, my company, you know, I'm in the insurance business. I said, oh, that's great, great. And I'm thinking like it's like an insurance business, like you know, your local like car insurance <laughs> right, right, right. owner, right? And he's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't do that. He says, my company, my insurance company insures other insurance companies. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, he said, you know, like Geico and Aetna and all these other places. He says, that's what my that's what my company does. We insure insurance companies we insure big ticket things like big concerts and big places like the boston garden or madison square garden that's what he did that was his business and i was like really he said yeah this is what i do and he told me he said you know whatever you do when you graduate from the school you always make sure you give he said i don't care if you give five ten dollars you make sure you give because you you want to pay it forward and so forth so if you don't have money you give in other ways but he said make sure you always give back to this school and i've had it and i've done that ever since amen we're gonna so, take a pause right there that's a great sure. place to put a pin in it and we will come back to finish the second half of this conversation so this episode is sponsored by Hope Murals. Hope Murals is a nonprofit that provides adolescent youth 
with an interactive experience of creative expression via an urban arts platform that stimulates both mental and physical development. Please visit their website at www.homeros.org to learn more and find ways you can support the work they do. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is After Gate Season 3. This is the second part of our conversation here. Before I jump into the conversation, let me make sure we show some love to our sponsor, Hope Murals. Um, as I shared earlier in this episode, we are so proud and appreciate all that Hope Murals does to expose our youth to urban arts and all that they're doing to appreciate um, and, and help their uh, development. And now that we are even uh, a, branching out into STEM, Stay tuned as I appreciate the evolution as well as the adults. I, I loved what I was hearing there as well. So uh, shout out to Hope Mirrors. Make sure you go to their website, hopemurals.org, as well as the social media sites at Hope Mirrors. Um, also, check out our network. Um, that is goldifylife.com. They got a lot of content on their website. Make sure you show them some love. Make sure you check us out on all of your major streaming services as well. We are on them all. So Apple, pods spreaker spotify iheart check us out we are there um, make sure you like subscribe so that you can get alert when we post the next show at saturday at 1300 hours now let's go back into the second half of this conversation with david so david before we jump into what life has been like after gate we definitely like to hear your thoughts on a particular topic mm -hmm. there's a lot of change that is happening in our society, particular race, post-secondary institutions, as well as athletics. You have the front of action that's happened and how that's going to play out and impact enrollment, specifically of predominantly white institutions. But you also have quite recently a huge, huge storyline around Deion Sanders, right? And what why why I bring him up to kind of lead into my question is one because of his success right now he is a hot top and he is prime time a lot of people are talking about him but he's also coming to that big powerful school from a hbcu and what i i acknowledge about dion is that when he went to jackson state he really brought a lot of attention a lot of publicity and success to a school and i was personally hopeful that this might translate into the HBCU colleges, the athletics, but getting 
more known, more notoriety, because I was hoping he would stay there for a little longer. My question, though, this is why I just, I just threw Deion Sand in there. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the future of athletics when it comes to the African-American athlete, because we have had a lot of athletic success in conferences like the SEC, the ACC, Pac-10, all of them had a lot of success on all of the athletic platforms, males and females. Mm-hmm. Curious to hear your thoughts, because there's been people who've wondered over the years, like, damn, why don't they just go to HBCU? Like, like if the top athletes of our co- of our country attended HBCUs, the money would switch, the attention would switch, the um the amount of revenue that is raised for these colleges would be raised for HBCUs. So I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts is as this dynamic is playing out in the future. Absolutely. I mean. <clears throat> At a school, just to step back, at a school like, let's say, Colgate or maybe the Ivy Leagues and so forth, Patriot League, many of us that are athletes or were athletes, we don't go to those schools for sports. We go there because we want to play sports, but academics is the focus. And so that's what draws us in. At the schools at the bigger universities, um, it's predominantly white and um, predominantly white colleges and universities. There is, for many Black athletes, it is the opportunity to go to that next level, be on that television, be on, mm-hmm. you know, the big person on campus, whether, no matter what sport you are, you're on. And it is the, the, the fame, the notoriety, it makes you into a national figure, especially with NIL right now. It mm-hmm. becomes, it's, it's a big, big thing. So, with HBCUs, as you mentioned about Deion Sanders, it definitely it brought some excitement. It re, re it reinvigorated, you know, the news about HBCUs. And I've said this for many years: is that if all of these athletes, all these black athletes, and think about it this way, eighty percent, typically about eighty percent of the starters on these major Division One football teams are black black men. You know, at some of these powerhouse colleges, most of the, in both men and women's basketball, most of the people are black men, black men and black women. And if you took the HBC, if you took all those players and they went to all the HBCUs, I've said this, we would never lose. Those colleges would never lose in sports, right? But what happens is that, you know, these folks, these coaches from the predominantly white schools, they will come into neighborhoods that they've never been to, don't want to go into, go into places. They will find these kids and say, come to my school. And because they, what their goal is, is to make money, to get the school in a prominent place on the television, doing what they have to do. Do they care about the kids? Yeah, I'm not saying they don't care about the kids. But what I'm saying is that it is, it's all about money. And with affirmative action, you know, how the Supreme Court got rid of affirmative action now, it is going to impact the black athlete in the sense that, you know, it will make it maybe a little harder for some people to get in. But I think it will possibly keep it the same because for them, the college coaches will find a way to get those students attracted to those schools. 
they will still come out there in the limelight. You know, recruiting process, and I've said this, is that recruiting process at Division Three is pretty cool. Just imagine if you were at, or Division Two. But once you start getting into the bigger, bigger schools, it's a whole different ball game. I've helped a lot of kids in where I am in the Boston area get into colleges to play sports, academics, and so forth. So I'm part of the recruiting world and so forth when it comes to sports, at me the athletes. It's a whole different ball game. So when they can come up there and they can give you, you know, show you, you know, you know, the big house at Michigan. I went to Michigan for grad school. And when they can show you, hey, kid, you can be here and, you know, you can be on TV every week. That's a big, big thing. And when I was out there, matter of fact, when I got out there, I graduated from Colgate in 94 in May. In in August, I was at Michigan. First place I went to, I didn't even go to, I didn't even go to school. I didn't even go to my dorm room, you know, my apartment. I went straight to the big house. And when I got there, I was like, why is there an ABC truck out here? It was just parked. There was nobody at the stadium. It was just parked there. And I asked someone, like a field, like a uh, grounds person, they said, well, we have it here because almost, you know, every home game, ABC is here. You know, it, this is this is national primetime TV every every other week or every, you know. So these kids, it's, it's for the black man and for black athletes, it's attractive. And that's why the HBCUs are not, don't get the love that they should because it is, they make it so enticing. You know, come to the school, you'll be on TV, you'll get the scholarship, you'll be in the limelight, you'll get the girls, you'll get the fame, you'll get this and so forth. And it's attractive, it's it's definitely. But going back to affirmative action, affirmative action is going to hurt the, everybody else in terms of the you know people of color. It's going to affect especially the black 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 and black Latinos and so forth. It's going to affect us in terms of getting us into helping us get into schools. And I and I always flip it around with my white brothers and sisters. I say, listen, you know. You know, affirmative action was there to make sure that you all you all didn't get all the opportunities, and you know we worked hard. We had to fight and die and everything else in order for, order for us to get these opportunities. How did you get in here? I flip it around like, how did you get in here? You know what I mean? And I like and I see people like, well, I worked hard. We worked hard too, but why did you get in here? And I just kind of go from there, you know, have that discussion. So, I think for me, seeing the black athlete is going to be difficult. I think right now, to be honest with you, is I'm having a problem with black black athletes playing in many conferences because I think black black people are under assault in many areas, voting rights and so forth, especially in the SEC states. Um, so I think overall, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be difficult, but I think affirmative action is going to maybe impact the athlete, black athlete, but definitely impact the number of black and brown people on campus. If you're a business looking to get your brand in front of a loyal, supportive, successful market, you need to become a sponsor of Aftergate. Our network recognizes the opportunity to work with Colgate's alum of color to leverage the reach of the show to increase awareness and profitability for your business. Reach out to the Defy Life Podcast Network and we will work with you throughout the entire process. We have special packages to get you started. Contact us at info at goldefylife.com. Every week, professionals of color, 
ranging from politicians to educators to judges to entrepreneurs to lawyers, corporate leaders, and even retirees. Aftergate reaches an array of successful BIPOC listeners. Contact us to learn more about how we can benefit you. My thing is this, is that, you know, one thing that I do is that I'm I'm activist, social activist where I am. So, you know, I have been on a number of boards. I go out here and I speak on a number of things, uh, mostly things that relate to race or gender and so forth. Um, when I see injustice, uh, especially with the police department in Worcester, where I'm from, second biggest city in New England, you know, I've had a lot of battles with the police chief. You know, I'm just very straightforward. And I tell people, I say, listen, I'm not a minister. My parents were, and I, you know, I grew up in church and so forth, but I'm not that type of black person. I'm not one of just, I'm not going to sit there and just sing kumbaya with you. I'm going to be straightforward and I'm going to use language that is not something that the pastor is going to use. So yeah. if I say, listen, you know, if, you, you know, if I feel like, you know, you know, something's going on and you're sticking a middle finger to the black and brown communities, I'm going to say exactly that. And so, you know, that's where I am. So one thing, this is a little bit, this is not in the Worcester, not in Massachusetts. This just happened. But you, as you mentioned about the affirmative action, you know, policies. And on top of that, you know, is, is, and this is the way I think, I think black folk, I think what we have done is that over the last 50 years, we, 50 or 60 years, we haven't been out here and promoting what affirmative action has been and was. Who benefited? The majority of white women benefited from affirmative action. We didn't go out here and really push it the way we should have. And you had a lot of people, especially some members of the people of color, different groups who didn't understand and appreciate the hard hard fight that we had to do in order to have affirmative action. So as we come full circle now, I mean, I'm sure that's going to kind of play into yeah. the journey that, that uh, you know, we hear about post Hogate. You graduate in 94. Walk us through, you know, some of the the steps, the pivots. Uh, sure. You know, just, just bring us to today. <laughs> bring us to who you are today and walk us through. Sure, absolutely. So graduated in 94, and I was wanted to go to medical school. That was kind of my goal, to go to medical school. But um, I had worked in healthcare and public health since I was like 17 years old. I worked in just different areas. I had a, one, of the, uh, one of the original HMOs was founded in my home city. So I was working for them, just doing different things. So I wanted to learn more about the healthcare world public health world, healthcare world. So I left Colgate, went to Michigan, the School of Public Health there. And I had a great two years there. Being on the Michigan campus was an amazing situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go from the small school and you go to this big campus, but the School of Public Health, Michigan is usually in the top five public health schools in the country. And it was just an amazing opportunity to learn more about the healthcare and the public health world. And obviously it ties into you know, about us in terms of our health and health disparities mm -hmm. and health equities and so forth. So, you know, it was a good learning experience. Um, had a great time at Michigan. And, you know, and I actually, a couple of teachers from Colgate have told me because I went there, I kind of opened up the, the I kind of 
led the way for many people from Colgate to start mm. going to the University of Michigan School of Public Health. So I appreciate that compliment. And then after I left there, I went back to Massachusetts and I went to medical school for a little while, about two years. And then, but I didn't like it. With the UMass Medical, I didn't like it. I just, at the time, it was just around like the beginning of the dot-com world. And, you know, I was like, man, do I really want to stay in school and do this for all this time? And people were doing very well financially. And I was just like, I'm not really, I'm not sure if I really want to do this. So I left. I left and made the decision for me because I wasn't happy. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go continue to work in the healthcare arena. I start working for, mm. you know, um, healthcare companies, healthcare at the time, they started to invest mm. more money into the healthcare companies. Um, public health, I started working for um, healthcare technology companies, investment companies, things like that. So it was a good, you know, it was just a good thing to do. I mean, it was just a wonderful time to be in the in the healthcare world. And then in Boston, you have in Massachusetts, especially in Boston, you have some of the best hospitals in the world that are all here. They're all packed mm. into all the Harvard hospitals are pretty much all in one area. And so you have this mecca for healthcare and public health. So I was like, you know, and I, I, I didn't expect, you know, fellas, I didn't expect to be in Massachusetts at this age. My goal was it going to be like either in D.C. or mm. maybe Chicago. That was what I was thinking about. But, you know, when I left medical school, I was like, well, you know, all this opportunities here right in my backyard, you got healthcare. Now you have all these biotech companies. You have all these things that are just here. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to make peace. And, you know, the community's here. Everybody's here. I love New England weather. Um, not in the snow, but I'm used to it. You know what I mean? I'm used to the snow. Um, Margaret. Love... Exactly, exactly, exactly. You got out, you're like, you're going to Miami. <laughs> but I love New England, man, you know, because, you know, I, I get out there in all the seasons and, you know, you, you know, all the way from Maine, all the way to Rhode Island. I love all of it. And so that's why, you know, the snow, the mountains, the ocean, everything's right here. So I love it. Um, so then I start working in different fields. I mean, um, not different fields, but in different positions, managers, directors, things like that. I worked in private equity for a little while, um, you know, do, doing different things, but always pretty much in the healthcare arena and one, one thing or another. Um, and probably about 2014, I started a new business. It was a consulting business. And well, prior to that, I actually had started, um, I went to business school. I got my MBA and my master in finance at Northeastern University. So, cause I was doing lots of business, but I wanted to learn the core core functions of business. So I started doing that and so forth. And in 2014, I opened up my own shop and it started with me. Now there's 18 of us throughout New England and we work in public health, we work in healthcare, we work at hospitals, we work at HMOs. Um, you know, we work at any public health entities. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I, I'm the managing director, but I'm also have my own client. So, you know, in addition to managing the firm, I am the, you know, CFO slash director of finance at two hospitals in the Boston area. So, you know, I'm busy. I'm doing those types of things. Um, and then in 2018, I believe, mm -hmm. I went, um, and this is kind of a family tragedy. So my brother Chuck 
you know, he was, you know, living, living a wild life and so forth. And I knew he would, I knew in some ways I would be taking care of him because he was living a crazy life. You know, he was into drugs, he wasn't taking care of himself and so forth. And, you know, I was used to seeing people perish from drugs or from gangs or, you know, people getting, you know, you know, crazy stuff. And if someone had told me that my brother Chuck, if he had, you know, if they had found him in a dumpster shot to death, it would have not surprised me, right? And many of us have friends like that in situations mm -hmm. like that. If someone had told me that he was in church praising God, I would have, I would have been crying with joy, but it would not surprise me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But this is what I tell young people, young and old people, because I work in healthcare and public health and I'm out there not only in the corporate world, but I'm also on the street talking to people about these different things, drugs and alcohol and addictions and so forth. And I say to people, I say, listen, most people don't think about the in-between life and death. And mm -hmm. for me, it was my brother because he had a heart attack from taking drugs. They brought him back and he had an anoxic brain injury because he didn't have much oxygen. And because of that, he was pretty much in a state of in and out of a coma for about eight years. So it was a tough road because my mother and I, we were, you know, he was in a, he was in a nursing facility, but we were there all the time. That consumed a lot, good portion of my 30s and early 40s, making sure that he was all right. Um, and then basically is that, you know, when we were in the hospital trying to decide whether or not to keep him alive and so forth, the way the people there and the ICU um, at the hospital, the way they treated us, we didn't like it. And, and I try to learn how mm. best, try basically how to, how, what's the best way to help patients and families make the tough decisions. Um, and so what I did in 20, and this was in 20, 2006 when this happened, but then eventually after my brother Chuck passed away and so forth, um, in 2014, I eventually, a couple of years later, I went to school. I went to learn about clinical bioethics. And, and basically, I got my master's in clinical bioethics, and I'm only two <laughs> papers away from getting my doctorate in it. And essentially, clinical bioethics, you deal with helping patients and families make tough decisions, healthcare decisions. I deal with patients that are in the, and families in the ICU. Usually, someone is incapacitated. And when there is a if there's an issue between the physician or nurse practitioner or PA with the family in terms of the next direction, or within the families themselves, a lot of arguing and fighting. Mom wouldn't want this. Dad wouldn't want that. I come in. 
and I try to understand their concerns, identify the ethical or religious issues or whatever it may be, and then give them a roadmap of how to make a decision. Or if it's a physician and he, he or she is in a procedure, um, you know, I've had phone calls from these providers say, I don't, you know, I'm doing brain surgery right now. I was told, and I, I knew I could go, if I go deeper, it's beyond what, it might kill the patient. But ethically, hmm. I need to know what can I do, and I will give the provider, the surgeon, a roadmap of what you should consider. I can't tell them what to do. If you go further, you want to save the person's life, but you want to get the cancer out of there. But at the same time, you have to think about it. You know, you have to think about if this happens ethically, is that ethically permissible? So, in addition to doing my business, I'm also a clinical bioethicist. And I work with families from the beginning of life when you have bad genetic testing all the way to the end of life or even after the end of life. So that is kind of what I do. You know, um, that's kind of my journey from Colgate, you know, um, you know, acad you know, I'm active in my community. I have good family around me. Um, you know, I'm, you know, things of life is good, man. You know, I'm a homeowner. I got my, you know, I got no kids, no children. <laughs> I have no children. No children. <laughs> I have no kids. Yeah. I have no children. But I have, you know, I have good friends. I have, you know, my my pets. Everyone is good, and um, <laughs> things are good. I can't complain. I can't complain. Man, that's an awesome journey, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, and, 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 and thank you for your service. Thank, thank you for you, your man. service. And thank I you, learned a lot about different aspects of the medical field in terms of mm -hmm. career so um mm -hmm. as we have young listeners um who are you know current students i hope mm -hmm. we might have exposed potential career options mm -hmm. but i think that's Absolutely. part of what we can do as well as alums is make sure we are providing career options as we have shared our journey so thank you for that absolutely, absolutely. and i think that's a big thing too because you know, many of us, we didn't, we weren't exposed to a lot of this stuff when we were Correct. younger. I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I've mentioned this as well. I, I mean, I've had so many conversations with so many young people. I've mentored so many young people over the years. Before I went off the, before I went off the COVID, you know, mentoring young people all the way to now. And I say, you know, like the things that we have been exposed to, it's like now and over the years, you know, a lot of people have never been exposed to. So I, I said, mm -hmm. here, where I grew up, I never, this is check this out. I never saw a black doctor. I never mm. met, I never, I never met, I never saw a black doctor in where I'm from. I knew one black nurse. That was my friend Todd's mother. I, that was the only black nurse I knew. Um, I didn't know no Latino, no, no Latino mothers. I mean, uh, nurses, doctors, none. Um, never, I knew one engineer. Basically, you know, all these things. I knew I knew a few teachers, um, but that was about it. It was very limiting. And so, you know, you see a lot of alumni now, they're teachers, they're lawyers, they're doctors, mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're executives, there's mm -hmm. social activism, they're in art, all kind of things. We I didn't see all of that growing up as much. I had to go to a different area sometimes I had to go into certain parts of Boston I had to go to go to New York spent a lot of time in New York I have two I have family in Queens so I spent a lot of time in Queens I'd go to down south in Alabama mm -hmm. you know and my I, I'd go to Jamaica and my father used to say David you know one of the reasons why a lot of Caribbeans they come here to the United States and start businesses or they go and do you know they go to medicine and law and so forth 
when the population is 95% or 99% I look like you, and the doctors are lawyers, the doctors are black, the lawyers are black, the nurses are black, you see that and you, you think you know what you can become. And so I think that's a big thing that the young people, as you mentioned, who might watch this, man, hopefully they'll see that there's the alumni, especially through internships, can give them so much opportunity and let them see things they never saw. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, with with that being said, it was a perfect segue into the next question. As you referenced, you know the the hey girlfriend, what's up? <laughs> uh, that's 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 Queen Queen Adea, Queen Adea, part of the Glen presidents. Uh, yes, my, my my youngest, okay. my my twenty four year old daughter popped in. Yes, okay, sir. Uh, that's cool. No doubt. Um, as you as you think of sort of all you your, your journey through Colgate, post Colgate, all that you know now, if you could if you could get into David's ear uh, when you were entering Colgate, um, and, and you could just kind of in a phrase or in, in, in a simple bit of advice give him some words of wisdom, what would that sound like? And mm -hmm. what would that also sound like for the David? Now, gone through Colgate, um, entering the world, pursuing the visions and dreams, what would those words of wisdom be? Sure. So at the, I would say at the very beginning, when I entered Colgate, the advice that mm -hmm. I would give myself at that time was to, I, I, would have, I would have said, really embrace the moment. Embrace, mm -hmm. you know, every moment of this, um, you know. You're going to get nervous. You're going to have some ups and downs, but know that, you know, God put you in here in, into the school for a reason to be around these people, for them to be around you, for you to have this experience and to embrace it. I think that is probably the biggest thing. And I think it wasn't just the academics. It wasn't just the sports and so forth. But for many of us, is that if you think back when we were entering school, many of us, we had maybe our mothers and our fathers that were around, we had family that was around, many of them have passed on. Mm. And so that moment, you know, just understanding, you know, that that time in our lives was, was, it was, it was a magical time because you're leaving high school, you're going into college, your parents were maybe there, your brothers and sisters, your grandmother, grandfather, they were around. Things were perfect. But that whole life, those four years, but you know, you don't know that when you're 17, 18 years old. But I would say embrace that. Because those moments you can never get back again. Mm -hmm. Leaving sure. Colgate, yeah, leaving Colgate, I would say almost the same thing, which is basically, you know, understand that this is a journey. You know, it's not a race, it's a journey. And there's going to be some things along the way that are going to set you back. Um, but it's okay to be afraid in some times, but know that you are prepared and that you have a lot of backup, you know, not only with your friends and family, but you have alumni that are here to support you. I don't think many of us tap into the alumni network that we have. Um, you know, I think like this in the way I feel, and someone taught me this many, many years ago, is that no matter where you are in this world, if someone from Colgate calls you, 
you pick up that phone, you stop what uh, you're doing and, and uh, help uh, that person. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the way I am, the way I think like this. I don't care what color you are. I don't care where you came from. You tell me that you went to Colgate, I, whatever I can do to help. You need a place to sleep, whatever it is. You need to whether you a job, whatever I can do, I'm going to try to help out. And that's what I have seen, you know, in, in my, in, with the alumni, you know, people just look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just say, embrace it. Don't be, you know, know that there's going to be, you know, setbacks and so forth, but you have, and I'll leave it like this. You went to a great school, but it doesn't stop there. But you also have expectations here. The expectation is that because you went to this great school, that there is a expectation for you to do well and for you to do, and I'm not just talking about financially, but for you to do, to, to make a statement, to make, you know, make a mark. It impact and passed it on and passed it mm-hmm. on. It's a legacy. And it's becoming even more difficult for black and brown people to get into Colgate and so forth. So it's going to be even more difficult. So I look at it like mm-hmm. it is an expectation that you have to behold as much as you possibly can and do everything you can to support the school, support each other, um, and just you know leave a legacy. There it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, men of Mark. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the last question is mm-hmm. about really an opportunity for you to um, promote an opportunity, initiative, a cause that is really important to you. We have listeners that are um, going to tune in. And so we really want this to be an opportunity to really say to our listeners, hey, this is what's in- important to David. And we would love for all of us to lean in and support something that's important to you. I would say, I would probably say probably probably one of two things. I would say that um, make sure to try to help the young people. Um, Make sure that you mentor. And as we talked about affirmative action and so forth, it's going to be more difficult for people to get into schools. People need to see us as the alumni of color, as their their examples. you know, they have to be, we have to be their examples. When I was growing up, I didn't have a poster of anyone on the wall. My mom passed away two years ago. And I said out of her services, I said, you know what, my, I didn't have any posters of anybody on the wall because my, my two role models were in the next room next to me, you know, my mom and dad, you know what I mean? So those were my two biggest role models. And I think that with our children, if we have any, Mm -hmm. with our, our network of people, we have to set that example. You know, in the Christian church, they talk about, you know, you know, you have to kind of like, you have, to, you have to be the example. If you want people to know about God or Christ, if you're a Christian, for example, you have to, just your life, you don't have to say anything. Just your life will exemplify that, right? Will show that. The same thing with a Colgate. You got to be able to show people that this is where you're from and to and to show what you've learned from it and what you've got out of it. You know what I mean? Obviously you can, your actions with your words, all those things definitely matter, but I think it's just an expectation that you have to live up. And so I think I would say, you know, you know, it's important to really teach those young people that it is important mm-hmm. to, you know, get into the community and whether they go to Colgate or not, get in the community and help. Because what's important to me is to see the young people. Um, 
out there trying to do something better because we have a lot of problems in our community, a lot of community, a lot of problems. And when you see people getting killed left and right by each by us, by us. And I don't care where you where we're from, people getting killed, people are on drugs, people having issues. On top of that, it is like we have not only our own issues, but we have, you know, political things coming down on us. And in all of that, we have young people and all of us, you know, different different ages who are trying to do the right thing, trying to uplift the neighborhoods, trying to uplift the group. And it's sort of like we got to figure out a way to try to, you know, get those people hopefully out and move them out and try to encourage the young people to try to get them into it on the right track because it's easy to fall. Because I know for me, easy for me, I could have fell into fell into something, you know, crazy stuff. And that's what saved me. My parents saved me. God helped me. God saved me from those types of things. But I was always like an academic student doing, playing sports, but I was also hanging with bad crowd. I was hanging with a bad crowd. You know, one of my best friends became a hitman. You know what I mean? That was what is that's what he that's what he became. You know what I mean? And we used to hang out and do stuff like that. No, seriously, it's crazy. Oh, and I believe you. Yeah, he became a hitman. You know what I right, mean? Right. And he was my he was my he was my one of my best friends. We hung out in the same clique. Uh, many of us we come from communities that we've seen all of this around us, uh-huh. and we to we have to, and thank God we were not really get caught up in that. And so yeah. we have to do the we have to do that. We have to make sure our young people doing our best. Every little bit helps to try to get our young people not to fall into those traps. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, appreciate, appreciate that. Any final words, man? Any final words before we get out of here? Uh, only thing I want to say is that I appreciate the opportunities, um, the, just the opportunities to be here tonight. It is so good to see you, Al. So good to see you, Jerry. When I was at Colgate, and I mentioned to you, uh, when I last time I saw you, Al, uh, you know, during the summer, um, is that because of folks like you and Jerry, it is like, you know, I saw what I could be. I could saw that there was that mentoring. I saw that that you know you were just doing your thing, both of you. And it was it was uh, just looking at my role models like these dudes are doing their thing and so forth. So it was, you know, that experience and looking at the future and, you know, it made me who I am today. That's why when I say when people say, Dave, you did this, do that. I'm telling you, man, my list is long. And both of you and many other folks literally a part of that whole long list before I even get to myself. So I want to say thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the mentorship. Um, thank you for everything. I appreciate it. Jerry, thank you for that phone call way back in the day. <laughs> word, word. You know what I mean? So That's dope, brother. Yeah, like, I appreciate uh, it, man. You mentioned it earlier. It's about paying it forward. And no doubt. so what you saw in us is what was poured mm-hmm. into us. And we mm-hmm. were just paying it forward like you have as well in your life. So I appreciate the acknowledgement, but we'll make sure yeah. we give the flowers as well to those who that are on our list, right? No yes, doubt. Sir. That's what's no up. No doubt. Absolutely. But let me let me bring it to a wrap because I do appreciate this show, but it has come to an end. So this has been another episode of Aftergate Season 3. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our listeners. Aftergate is always powered by the Defy Life Network. So check us out in the future. 
on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Many more dope episodes to follow. And remember that the Colgate of your day is not the Colgate of today, and it's certainly not the Colgate of the future. Peace, family. You hear that? Listen closer. That, my friend, is the deafening sound of focus. It drowns out all the useless noise that can clutter the moment. Naysayers don't exist. Haters, smaters, the peanut gallery, who's that? When you're in your zone, all that noise and all that buzz is just elevator music. So, enjoy your journey, focus on your goal, and bask in the quiet roar that is progress. Because when it's your time to shoot that shot, spit that verse, or close that deal, the only voice that matters is yours. If I like it.